Well, good morning, family. Good morning. Good to see you guys. We are beginning a new series in the letter of 1 Peter this morning. And so the main thrust of kind of this whole series that we're going to be looking at, the, the, the main thrust is answering this one big question. How does the church live as an alternative society in a hostile world so that we might bring glory to God here? That's kind of the overarching question, uh, not only just for today, but this whole series. So what we're going to do is, I'm going to read the scripture actually this morning, and then uh, we're going to pray. You guys ready? Okay. Yeah. Here's the scripture reading. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pause to thank you for your word to us. We need, God, we need you to talk to us today. We need you to tell us who we are because we forget we forget really fast. We thank you that you are a, a God that's not made out of uh, cloth. You're not made out of wood or precious metals. You're a living God, and so you're a speaking God, and you talk to us. So we need you to talk to us today about who we are and who you've called us to be together. God, I pray that we would sense your presence here in this room the children would sense your presence there in that room, and that you would be about your work. Challenge us who need to be challenged. Encourage us who need to be encouraged so that we might be the people of God. We love you and we thank you in the exalted name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So today what I want to do is I want to give kind of an overview of where we as a church are going to be going for the next uh, few weeks or a couple months actually. So just kind of consider this like a flyover of 1 Peter at 30,000 feet. All right? You're going to kind of survey, give us kind of the lay of the land and where we're going to be going the next few weeks. So we're going to start with kind of the backstory of 1 Peter. 1 Peter was written during the reign of uh, the Roman Emperor Claudius. Okay, I promise I'm not going to bore you with this stuff. This is going somewhere, all right? This is really going to help us understand what he is writing. Emperor Claudius reigned uh, in the Roman Empire from 41 to 54 AD. That's not that long after Jesus died and was resurrected, okay? Claudius' big dream was to expand the Roman Empire through conquest and colonization, and he was the most aggressive emperor in accomplishing this. I mean, he really expanded this empire like nobody else did when he reigned on the throne. The goal was to make colonies or to make like these little outposts of the Roman Empire in the territories that he had, con that he had conquered and to Romanize them. 
So he's going to go into these foreign territories and Romanize uh, the people there by introducing Roman language, Roman customs and values, and Roman politics to the people that live there. In fact, Claudius settled colonies, get this, in each of the five territories that Peter mentions in the very first verse. First two verses, isn't that interesting? He accomplished this through several cycles of massive deportation or forced expulsions from Italy. He would uproot and deport a minimum of 300 people at a time. One account, he did 6,000 people at a time and forced them to leave the country. He would deport them out of Italy into these newly conquered territories to live. So get this so that they would eventually propagate the Roman way of living. It's an ingenious strategy. Ingenious strategy. And what's interesting is that Claudius usually chose people that he deemed as foreigners to do this, except for he was the one emperor that made it a good thing. He put a positive spin on it for people. So he would choose people that the locals would consider foreigners. I mean, they were loyal to Rome, but they weren't loyal enough. They were patriotic, but they weren't patriotic patriotic enough for him. And so they would be the ones on the list to go. These would be people that had jobs that did not directly support the cause of Rome. At one point, that was only two jobs, teachers and doctors. Everyone else, you might be on the list to go. Because it didn't seem like you were supporting Rome with the work you were doing with your hands. Out you go. If you practice a philosophy or a religion, like Druidism was a big one. He didn't like people that practiced Druidism. But if you taught or practiced a philosophy or a religion uh, that didn't look Roman enough, it didn't sound Roman enough, you might be a threat to Rome. So out you go. You get to be part of colonizing at the very edge of the Roman Empire. Aren't you lucky? Ethnically, if you did not look Roman enough, if you didn't sound when you spoke Roman enough, out you go. You just got elected to be part of our colony. So around 49 AD, after he had already banned Jews and Christians from meeting together in groups, he just decided it would just be better for everyone if they were to leave Rome. And so that was a massive deportation, and Christians were caught up in that as well as Jews. Now I want you to imagine this. Imagine these people who were not really wanted in their home nation, and they weren't really given full citizenship in their home nation. They're forcibly resettled in a foreign territory. Now picture that in your mind for a second, what that would feel like. Do you think the people that were in those territories are going to want to receive and accept those people? Nope. Not at all. They're not going to like the fact that they are there. So get this, guys. These people are doubly rejected. They're doubly rejected. They're rejected by their home country, and they're socially rejected by their, quote, host country who resents the fact that they're even there in the first place. They're seen as foreigners twice over by everybody, basically. And so guess what's going to happen? There's going to be, socially on them, there's going to be a lot of pressure on them. There's going to be a lot of pressure for them 
to want to find jobs. There's going to be a lot of pressure for them to want to fit in so they can buy property, so they can make friendships and, and have these networks so they can survive. They're going to be really pressurized to want to fit in. The apostle Peter picks up on this social historical event and he uses it as a metaphor to help explain the social spiritual experience that Christians are encountering at this time. Peter recognizes this as an opportunity to speak into the lives of these godly immigrants through a letter. It's a genius move on Peter's part, some great leadership he's showing here. Now, the Christians were being marginalized in their society. Their faith in Jesus was mocked. Their faith in Jesus was being slandered. It's talked down about. You're kind of the reason we're having problems here. To publicly identify with Jesus was making their lives harder and making relationships a lot more difficult for them to navigate. They were experiencing alienation and rejection from friends, from neighbors, even own family members. Christians were experiencing this alienation, this separation. Additionally, they were experiencing the loss of honor. And this is a big thing that we're going to talk about in 1 Peter. They were experiencing the loss of honor, the loss of social networks that they once had, the loss of opportunities because they professed Christ as their Lord and lived by his values. Now, there is not full-blown, government-endorsed persecution of the Christians yet. That's going to come later in history. This is more sporadic and spasmodic. They're little flare-ups. It's more social. But, but socially, things are getting uncomfortable for these small communities of believers who would gather together regularly in the name of Jesus Christ. They are suffering because they're living by a different set of values priorities and allegiances than their pagan neighbors and family members. And they're being rejected. Or they're being shamed for that. And the Apostle Peter writes to encourage them to continue hoping in God and to continue living as Christians in the world. He's often called the Apostle of Hope. This is a very hopeful letter. Here are some themes that we're going to be covering in this series. That's the backstory. Here's the letter. The first theme is this, conduct and identity. Conduct and identity. The new birth creates a new identity for Christian individuals. Peter addresses the Christians in Asia Minor as elect exiles. That's how they're supposed to see themselves in society as they live, and that's how you and I, we're supposed to see ourselves that way as well. It's good for us. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But this new identity came from somewhere. They didn't choose this identity for themselves. This is what Peter is saying. It was created and given to them by God. They were elect exiles or chosen foreigners in the world because God has caused them to be born again to a new life. And so our identity our new identity supersedes all other earthly identities. God is now our Father. Christ is now our Lord, and He is our Savior. Because we have been born again, because our identity has fundamentally changed, we have new desires. Like, like we actually want to obey God now. 
That's a new desire. Uh, We have new goals that we are living for, like to love one another. Let's go to 1 Peter 1, verse 22 and 23. Peter says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Because we are born again, we now want to live lives that are ever increasingly holy. We want to reflect the holiness and get this, the beauty of our God in every aspect of our life. We want to reflect his holiness and his beauty in every aspect of our personal life, in our professional life, in our social life. Being a Christian radically reshapes how you see everything in your life. It can only be described as being born again. A new birth has happened. Second theme, conduct in community. Conduct in community. The new birth creates an alternative society among Christians. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 5 is an example of this. He says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We have been born again for a much greater purpose than getting a ticket to heaven when we die, family. We need to know that. I mean, that's great. But that is not the whole gospel message. We have been saved for something even more than that. Peter tells us plainly that Christ has saved us for something, and it is beautiful. It is gorgeous. It is epic. God is redeeming for himself a community of people, the people of God, a people that the entire unbelieving world, get this, will be able to look at and see like a building. You know, we say the church isn't a building. Well... Yes and no. Peter says it's a building. It's a building of people. They're being put together, assembled, formed, so that people can see it. The local church is to be a visible outpost, a visible colony of the kingdom of God on earth. We are to live together as an alternative society to the society that we are placed in, that people can look at the, look at the people of God and give glory to God. Look how great our God is. We collectively do marriage and family God's way, not the world's way. We collectively make, save, give, and spend money God's way, not the world's way. We collectively work our jobs 
and are motivated in our jobs God's way, by God's motivations, not the world's way, the world's motivations. You guys tracking with me? God has made us an alternative society in society. 1 Peter 4, verses 8 through 9 says, Above all, which means this is pretty important, above all, keep loving one another. Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Because we have been born again, Christians are to show love to fellow believers regardless of their nationality or family tree or status in society. And that is different than the way the world works. We are to live as a counterculture to the dominant culture. Third theme, conduct and suffering. Conduct and suffering. You knew I was going to go here, right? The new birth transforms suffering into honor. This is crazy. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14. Check this out. If you are insulted, so that should just let us know what kind of suffering they were experiencing. This is social, right? If you are insulted for the name of Christ, there's kind of that caveat. It needs to be for this reason, not just because you're, like, obnoxious. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. When we live by our new identity that God has given us and when we live as a part of an alternative society that God has created, that is going to be very attractive to some people. They're going to see how we are living, how we're loving one another, how we're treating one another, how we're trusting God, we're obeying what God says, and they're going to say, how can I get in on that? That's great. But others will see how different we are and they're going to feel threatened. Just like the people who were conquered by Rome resented the colonies that were trying to Romanize them, people will resent Christians for trying to, quote, Christianize them. They're not going to all like that. Unbelievers will be tolerant to us as long as our alternative society stays private, stays indoors, It doesn't spread to other people in our culture. That'll be fine. That's good. But you know what? That's, exa- but, but that's exactly what Christ has commanded us to do, to have it to spread to all people. Make, make disciples of all nations, right? He's commanded us to do this through our words and through our deeds. So that's not going to always match up, is it? When Christ's values and authorities comes in conflicts with our family's culture or when our society's culture, we're going to suffer, Christians. It's not a weird thing. It shouldn't be strange. There are some traditions, events, or ideologies that we we just can't participate in as Christians. We just can't because they don't tell the truth about God and because they dishonor people that are made in God's image and we love all people. 
This will convict unbelievers of their falsehoods. It'll cause rifts, even among family members, neighbors, employers, employees, friends. We'll be called troublemakers. We'll be called disturbers of the peace sometimes. Therefore, there will be great pressure on us to over-accommodate to the culture so that we can still keep those relationships alive, can still keep those opportunities open so that we might avoid the experience of being rejected or despised. Hey, it hurts being rejected, does it not? Just me? Look, I don't care who you are. That's hard. I don't care who you are. It's difficult. And so Pastor Peter here, he's going to teach us that it is better to suffer than to sin. And that's a big theme in this letter. It is better to suffer than to deny being a Christian with our life, which is a lesson that Peter knows pretty well, doesn't he? (laughs) He's going to tell us that it's better to lose your status with your friends. It's better to lose your relationship with your own family. It's better to be dishonored by your coworkers than to bear false witness about God with your life. He's going to put it positively this way. There is honor in being dishonored. There's honor in being dishonored, family. Peter takes the very thing that the world is trying to use to shame those Christians, their status as foreigners, and he transforms it into a badge of honor. Isn't that amazing? So this is the controlling question of the entire series. How do Christians live together as honorable exiles for God's glory? So the people might know God. And with that question, we're going to segue into the text for this morning. I'm going to go ahead and reread the first two verses here. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So with just a few minutes I have left, what I want to do is just focus our time on two words here. That's a word for very verse, I guess. So, In these two, first two verses, the Apostle Peter is giving a really helpful resource for those Christians that live in Asia so that they might weather the suffering that they are experiencing. He knows that they are not going to be, uh, they're not going to be able to understand what is happening to them if they don't first understand who they are. They're not going to be able to understand what is happening to them until they first understand who they are. So he begins his letter by reminding them of their true identity in the Godhead. Did you notice the Trinitarian Godhead that he mentions here? Father, Son, and Spirit. They are elect exiles. Elect exiles. Now, elect, that just simply means chosen by God. That's all it means, chosen by God. Peter goes on to say here that Christians are chosen by God for redemption, not according to their merit, not according to what they have earned, 
not according to how attractive they might make the kingdom of God look if God was to, you know, give them citizenship into the kingdom. Not according to any of that, actually. Not according to anything that's in them. God chose us according to his plan. God took the initiative to redeem us, not us. That's all this means. It is by grace we've been saved. God chose us because he loved us before we were even aware of it. Isn't that amazing? Think about that, guys. Think about that statement for just a minute. What an encouragement for those of us who are experiencing rejection by the world because we follow Jesus and we call God our Father. How encouraging is that for you? And maybe that is you here today. Maybe you are experiencing that in some way right now. Maybe, maybe for you, your parents don't support the fact that you worship Jesus. They'd rather not talk about that, and they don't support that for you. Maybe they enjoy bringing up the latest church scandal to make you squirm or asking a question that they know you're not going to have an answer for because it makes you feel dumb. It kind of puts you in check, kind of puts you in your place. Now let's go have dinner. Maybe you, maybe you feel alone in your faith and you want more than anything for your family to accept this part of your life, but instead, right now, you're experiencing some rejection, some dishonor. Peter says this to you. You've been chosen by God. Hey, you've been chosen by God. God wants you. God wants you. Maybe for you, uh, it's your friends. You know, your friends kind of tolerated for a while the fact that you're a Christian. They tolerated until it started changing the way that you spoke, until it started changing the way that you live. But uh, now they don't invite you to, to as many parties anymore, you've noticed. You notice that you're kind of on the outside of a lot of the inside jokes, you know what I'm saying? And you feel the cold shoulder. You kind of feel the sting of the blank stares when you kind of try to chime in on the conversations. You're feeling that? Listen, guys. Listen, family. You're chosen by God. God wants you. Even if they don't want you, you need to know that God wants you. Even though they may be rejecting you, you are accepted by God according to his love and purpose for you. He wants you. The God of the universe wants you. Unlike this world that only chooses the worthy and the, the skilled and the cool to be a part of the social elite, God says that we don't have to be a part of the elite, the elite to be a part of the elect. And that is good news. That is good news. We are elect exiles. Exile. That simply means foreigner. We've kind of already been talking about this means to be a foreigner, means to be a stranger somewhere. Here's what we need to know. You will be seen as different. You will be seen as other. And that's normal. It's a part of your identity. It's a part of my identity. 
To live in this world as one of the elect means that we will not feel at home in society no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we upgrade the house, no matter how hard we like try to fit in with the fashion and all that kind of stuff. We're just, we're just not going to completely fit in. Though we will enjoy and affirm some of the things that our neighbors do, many of the things that our neighbors do, we will never fully embrace all that they do. Why? Because we've been fully embraced by God. We've been fully embraced by God. Christians will not fully affirm or participate in everything that the dominant society does because we belong to a different society, fundamentally. We are citizens of a different kingdom. Let me put it this way. We're all living here on a visa. If you're a Christian, you're living here on a visa. So think about that. Let that be, give you maybe some empathy for one another. Our relationships with unbelieving neighbors, family, friends, the government, the culture, it's always going to be a little bit awkward at different pressure points. It's going to be a little bit awkward. It's going to be like, it's going to be a little ill-fitting. I mean, like, kind of like a coat that's a size or two too big. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, generally it fits, but not like a glove. Not all the way down. It's a little long here. A little loose here. That's what it's going to be like. Christians are going to feel like that. And that's going to raise people's suspicions about you and me from time to time. They will feel that their values, their way of life, are threatened by our mere presence. Just the fact that we're here. We will be seen as foreigners who don't really belong in society, don't really belong in our family, don't belong in our group of friends anymore, and that can make us feel like maybe we did something wrong to offend them so badly. So we weren't trying to offend them. Here's an important fact about our identity that Peter is pointing out to us. The fact that we have been chosen by God marks us off. It sets us off. He uses the word sanctification. It sets us apart from the rest of the people in, in the world. Let me put it a different way. Our chosenness is causing our foreignness. Okay? Our chosenness is causing our foreignness in society. And to make weird even weirder, we're actually asking people to come be foreigners with us. Come on in. There's room for some more. And some people go, that's great. And they'll say, no way. Don't like that. So what does this mean for us? Well, it means at least two things for us as Christians. First of all, we need to continually remember our foreign identity so that we don't wear ourselves out trying to fit in with every person, every custom, or every social event. That's why we gather together every seven days. We're not just gathering here for us to get something. We're here to help remind other people of something. That's why we sing these songs and preach from this book and have some of these customs that we have. We're reminding ourselves of what we forget throughout the week. Instead of being ashamed of being a foreigner in society, we are to embrace this label as we continue to engage with society. And that's an important part I want to make on this point. Our identity as elect exiles or chosen foreigners means that we are to neither completely abandon society and go live in our caves, nor are we to completely assimilate with it. Peter's going to call us to live in this tense middle ground that's a lot harder to to live in, right? Because it's easy to just kind of get signs and just abandon everyone and just relegate everyone and just talk bad about everyone in the world. 
and it's easier just to kind of smooth right on in. But we're going to live in this tense tension of the middle, kind of like Goldilocks, not too warm, not too cold, just right. That's how we're going to live, okay? We are called to live within the dominant society as foreigners chosen by God to represent him right here on earth. Secondly, it means that unbelievers will say that we don't belong here. They'll kind of either say it verbally or just kind of with their actions. You don't really belong here. Not really a good fit. And that's okay. You know why? Gospel says otherwise. The gospel says that you and I do belong somewhere. Isn't that good news? You do belong somewhere. You do belong with someone. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters. We do have a place where we fit in. We belong to God. It's not so much a where, it's a who. We belong to God, and we belong to the people of God because of the grace of Jesus Christ and the new birth that he has given to us. This is our identity. We are elect exiles. We are chosen foreigners by the will of God, and it is difficult to live that way consistently in the world. Amen? So we need to be praying for one another. We do need to meet together. We do need one another, and we need to be praying for one another. And so I want to encourage us, let us pray for each other that God will give us the power to live in the world according to who we are. Friends, I want us to pray for each other the way that Jude prays. And this is going to be my prayer for us today. Keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. And now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages and now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.